0: Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Um, episode 10, double digits, very exciting. I uh, wanted to say uh, thank you to Colin Marshall, who uh, reviewed the show over at Pod Thoughts. Uh, there is a link to that review on morethanonelesson.com. So uh, he had a lot of very nice things to say. So thank you very much, Colin. Uh, all right, so here we go. I will be starting this episode. With some Bible verses. That's right. That's right. Here we go. Um, All right. So we're going to start with Psalm. uh, Psalms 33, uh, 1 through 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. So. All right fair enough you've heard stuff like this uh uh in old hymns and that sort of thing um however uh when i read this uh the other day it one word really stuck out to me and it's near the end uh in which it says uh play skillfully skillfully uh that's something that is key why would it be here i mean this is a you know these verses are all about ...praising the Lord and, and uh, with various instruments and such. Uh, so why is skillfully so important? Um, and uh, I, one of our bloggers, uh, Jason Eakin, actually wrote uh, a blog... Uh, ...that's kind of about this, that as Christians, if we feel that God is calling us to do something... Uh, ...whether it be artistic or not, but we'll talk about art specifically... Um, there are a lot of Christian uh, film studios that seem to think that uh, the call to make films is enough. That, oh, well, this is God's will for our studio, this is God's will for our church, so we'll just do it, and uh, we'll be doing God's will. Well, uh, yes, you will, although here it says that... uh, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. And I think that's, that's the important part here. Is it's, it's good to feel that God is, is calling you in a, certain, in a specific direction. And it's good to go in that direction. But if you're not doing it well. If you are not training yourself. Then what's the point? As I've said before and I certainly have said it on uh, my other show Battleship Pretension um <laughs> if you're not if you're not making a good film and you're not putting the effort into the artistic quality of the film nobody's going to care the only people that are going to like it will be other Christians and even then other Christians who don't know or particularly care about what makes ...a good film. And so, ultimately, you're not helping anybody. If God is calling you to as a Christian to make a film, uh, Christian or otherwise, uh, my guess is he wants it to actually reach an audience of some kind. And my guess is it's probably not an audience that already agrees with you. Um, And so I feel like this verse is very important. It's important to focus on that skillfully. Uh, If you are a Christian... And you are being and you feel that you are being called to to be a, a director or a writer or an actor cinematographer editor composer anything film critic why not uh, it's important to do it skillfully and so that's kind of what is going to inform uh, this episode and I'd say probably every tenth episode um, rather than talk about a specific movie um we're going to, probably every 10th episode or so, uh, talk about a specific aspect of filmmaking. Um, and listeners of Battleship Pretension know that I, when I when I went to film school, uh, there's a few core classes that you take so that you get some of the fundamentals, uh, you know, aesthetics of cinema, history of cinema, basic editing and, and cinematography and that sort of thing. So... Uh, So I did that, and then when it came time to move on from the basic core, uh, I focused on directing, screenwriting, acting, and critical studies, which is, of course, film criticism. Um, My co-host of Battleship Pretension, he focused on editing and cinematography. And so when the time comes uh, to talk about editing and cinematography and some of the more uh, technical uh, elements of filmmaking, I'll probably bring uh a guest in uh, I have uh a couple of friends who are professional editors and have achieved uh some success at that and they are much much more well versed in uh editing at the very least editing lingo but also the fundamentals of it so so uh that's going to be uh kind of far down the line but uh but right now this week we're going to talk about uh acting. Which uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I've gotten actually a, a a small amount of flack on the other show because I focus so much on uh, on acting and writing and 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 directing and not enough on on editing and cinematography and uh, fair enough. But what I will say, I I remember um, back when I would when I was doing high school theater. There was a uh, a kid who was frequently on the crew. I was frequently in the cast. And he always made a big stink about how uh, the crew is not getting enough uh, praise. And don't get me wrong, crew is important. You need somebody to design the set. Uh, th- I, here I'm talking specifically about... Uh, uh, stage plays, but you need someone to design the set and build it, and put the costumes together, and light the thing, and run sound. Like you need that; that's important. Um, but he he uh, <laughs> he liked to uh, really, really kind of almost downplay the role of actors, which is kind of a strange thing to to do when it comes to to plays. Um, and he made uh, you know the a joke about. He said, "You know if." If it weren't for the crew, then you actors would be on stage just in your regular clothes, but no one—you know—not that anyone could see you anyway, because it wouldn't be well lit and there'd be no set. And I got, and and I feel like yes, crew should be uh, given a lot of credit, uh, but I got kind of tired of him saying this over and over. And I said, well, yes, but if we didn't have the actors, then we'd have a really beautiful set, perfectly lit and people just stare at an empty stage for two hours. It's just, you do need both. And and in film, you will actually run across people, uh, I, know, I certainly know that I did uh, in school, who downplayed the importance uh, of acting. And uh, now what I will say is I feel like perhaps acting is played up too much because, you know, I mean, it's bound to happen. They are the face of a film. You know, I mean, if you... If somebody tells you about a film you probably want to know who directed it, but maybe even more so, you want to know who stars in it. Uh, and then maybe to a lesser extent, who wrote it, who shot it, who produced it, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it's, when you when you read uh, perhaps some of the, uh, you know, lesser entertainment magazines, they will refer to a film as, you know, uh, the Sean Penn film, Milk. Well, he didn't direct it. He merely acted in it. He has directed other films, but that it, Milk is a Gus Van Sant film, so um, so I feel like yeah, actors perhaps uh, get uh, maybe too much press uh, when it comes to filmmaking, uh, but it is an important role. I mean, filmmaking is basically telling stories, and then of course there's some experimental filmmaking uh, and that sort of thing, which is more about just uh, hitting the audience on a on a purely visceral uh, level, but for the most part it is storytelling and the best possible way to sell the events of a story are through the characters and the best way to sell characters are through the actors so today we are going to talk about what constitutes good acting uh and bad acting uh and so you know i'm not going to i'm not going to go into a lot of the you know a lot of the different methods you know i'm not going to talk about meisner or stanislavski or anything like that um Instead, <laughs> I am going to um, I'm going to go through my my own personal hierarchy of uh, bad to good acting. Uh, but basically, I'm just going to go with an A B C D F uh, mentality, and we'll start with F, which is bad, just straight up bad acting. Um, if you watch, I mean, if you watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, or just enjoy watching those old. Uh, B sci-fi horror movies or even just those old melodramas uh, actually you know what never mind when I said melodrama never mind I'll get to that in a minute let's just stick with old BC, uh, B uh, sci-fi uh, horror films uh, and you'll notice that uh, the acting it's always very stilted uh, there's no fluidity to the way the actors deliver the lines uh, they seem to be uncomfortable with what they 're saying and and that takes that instantly takes you out of it, and you are judging the way they 're acting and you 're also saying and the judgment you 're coming out with is that they're acting poorly um, that it does not sound like a real person saying these things. it sounds like somebody who 's trying to remember that they 've got something to say, and you certainly will not find a lot of emotion um what I will say and, and you will find you will find that ca- that kind of acting in movies these days uh but not very often um but i I will note that there is a movie that I really enjoyed one of my favorite movies of last year that actually had uh, a great deal of kind of that stilted and it should be noted uh non professional uh acting and that was Grand Torino uh starring clint eastwood and of course clint eastwood d- did a great job I think it's one of his best performances but Uh, There's a lot of younger actors uh, who are uh, of a certain nationality, and Clint Eastwood specifically said he wanted to cast non-professionals. And to a degree, that worked in the sense that it gave a degree of realism. But the problem is, uh, it is a rather emotionally wrought film. I mean, it's not just people hanging out. I mean, big things happen, and these actors need to... uh, they need to sometimes yell, they need to cry, they need to do all kinds of things, and, you know, in, in even the casual scenes, they, have, they seem to be having a hard enough time selling the dialogue as, as a person would sell it. They have a hard enough time in the easier scenes. So, of course, in the big scenes, like, there's one where a character has to uh, yell, but he doesn't sell, he doesn't sell the yell, um, and so it you really feel like oh this is definitely somebody who has not acted before or at least has acted very little uh, and it takes you out of it and that's that so that's that's like the equivalent of an f where the lines the way they say the lines the way they carry themselves everything just screams uh not believable and and probably not professional um, and so so we'll move on to uh Instead of a, an F, we'll move on to D, and D. Uh, now we're going to get into um, certain aspects of melodrama, um, where the way they're saying lines is natural and believable, and the way they care, and perhaps the way they carry themselves—they're they're a little more comfortable on screen. Uh, you you believe them in this world. You certainly don't believe that they're actors. Uh, you believe that they are real characters, but the reason that this is a d is because they will hit certain emotional notes that is that are just uh just take you out of it uh in that way um and this will usually this will usually happen in a in a film that uh purports to take place in our reality um Oddly enough, the, the primary example that I thought of was, uh, if you've seen Scream 2, uh, spoilers, spoilers for Scream 2, uh, you will know that uh, Timothy Oliphant, who, uh, uh, an actor who I actually think is quite good, I, I liked him in the movie Go, I liked him in Gone in 60 Seconds, even though I didn't like the film itself, uh, and of course I thought he was great in Deadwood. Uh, he's a very good actor, uh, but I think Scream Two was a little was perhaps a little earlier in his career, uh, and he is the killer, and so, and he's playing a character who other char- whom other uh, characters describe uh, is crazy, and so there are, so once it is revealed that he is crazy, uh, Timothy Oliphant delivers just an insane over the top performance where he just you know he has to say things like it is gonna rock but he doesn't say it's gonna rock he goes like it is gonna rock well nobody talks like that I mean he just it's he just hits notes that you just like wow he is way overacting and again uh, at that point you are very aware of the actor uh, but not in well uh, again I keep getting ahead of myself you're aware of the actor. Because he is forcing emotional notes that are just, that you're just like, nobody Nobody acts like that in life. Uh, whether they're crazy or not. I mean, with the possible exception of Charles Manson, who, if you see any news footage of him, uh, he's just, he's, wow, he's really crazy. But aside from him, I mean, every every crazy person is usually described as, Uh, mild mannered and low key. Uh, and so when your character is oh, he's a he he's killed people and he's crazy. Oh well, I'll just I'll just really play it up. But it's really it's really hammy. Um, and so uh, another example: there are people my age that love this film. I think I came to it too late. Uh, but there's a movie called Empire Records. Uh, in which uh, Ethan Embry who uh, again I think uh is a good actor he was in uh that thing you do he was in uh he currently is in a show called Brotherhood and I think he's a good actor and I think he's actually turned out to be a very uh just a very nice subtle actor uh but in in uh, Empire Records it's uh, it all takes place in this record store and everybody's kind of eccentric but his character is just really spastic And over the top. Uh, And the events of the film in general are a bit unrealistic. So I understand that it doesn't take place in our reality. It takes place in a slightly more stylized version of our reality. Uh, But even within that, uh, the way that he moves, the way that he yells, uh, he's not playing like a real spastic person. He's playing the essence of spastic in which he just, everything is huge. Uh, and you just uh, it just took me out of it. Some people I feel like would watch it and be like, "Oh, he's all cartoony. That's funny." Uh, but I I personally don't think so. And again, you know, personal opinion plays a, a large role in this kind of thing. Um, you know, if if you think that something is good uh, and you can defend it, and you can say, "Well, I know somebody who is exactly like this," and it's like, well, "Okay, fair enough. I guess it's believable to you." I've never met anybody. ...like Ethan Embry in Empire Records. And I've lived a bunch of places and known a bunch of people. Uh, And so I watch his scenes and I wind up shuddering... ...because it's just an actor who has been given permission... ...to just really overplay uh, his character. Uh, And again, Timothy Oliphant, Ethan Embry, they are good actors. Um... And it should be known that the both of those roles happened kind of early on in their career, not incredibly early on. Ethan Embry, of course, uh, had been acting for, for years before that, but um, but they've got, they've both gone on to become very uh, just very good, uh, solid adult actors. So so that's that's the D is is when they just they're hitting emotional notes that they did not earn or that simply are not there within the character or within the world of the film. Um, so that's the D. Let's, let's go to the C. All right, well, here, here we have somebody who is uh, an actor or acting that is perfectly adequate. You believe the emotions, you believe what they're saying, but adequate is as far as it goes. They're doing what they're supposed to do and nothing more. They are not creating a memorable character. They are not doing anything specific, uh, to give this character like a back, like a backstory, uh, or make you feel like the character existed before the movie started and will continue after the movie is over. Um, <laughs> oh jeez, listeners of Battleship Pretension know that I have made very plain my frustration with an actor named Will Patton. Uh, he is an actor that has worked a lot in uh, very substantial films. He was in Remember the Titans. He was in Armageddon. He was in The Punisher, uh, The Postman. He was in a really great film that I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point called The Rapture. Uh, he's worked with a lot of different directors, and his, he's had a lot of different kinds of roles. In The Postman, he is the he's the villain. He's the main heavy, uh, whereas in remember the titans he and armageddon he is a very nice guy he's 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 one of the good guys um he's always a supporting actor uh and of course if you're a supporting actor then you you're usually given roles that are kind of character roles uh and a character role usually means that the the main actor the pri- uh the primary actor the lead uh has to do the heavy lifting as far as uh the themes of the film and and that sort of thing so the character actors can just be their characters uh, and try and make their characters interesting and memorable without going too far. So uh, so Will Patton is a character actor, uh, but I will say that chances are you don't remember what he looks like or who he is. Um, and it's because he plays his parts perfectly fine. Even though... It, even over the top parts, uh, you know, even even big, showy parts like in uh, like in the postman, uh, he plays them all perfectly fine, but he's just not memorable. He does not bring anything to it aside from, "Oh, this is the line I'm supposed to say, I will now say it, and this is the emotion that I am supposed to feel. I will convey that. And some would say that that's fine, that's what it should be. Um, but I think that he sh- that an actor or actress should should imbue the character with something uh taking of course their cues from the character him or herself. Uh and so somebody like Will Patton he just he does what is required um and is perfectly adequate. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm not saying he's a great actor. Like a great actor would really do something with with uh you know the role. He was the assistant coach in Remember the Titans and of course his character Uh, loses his job and uh, Denzel Washington is given his job and in you know the rather racist part of the country that that film takes place you know that's a huge deal and uh, and that character you could have imbued him with like a great deal of like kind of resentment and and but it's all under the surface and maybe you don't actually even if the character doesn't verbalize it it certainly is there And you could do something with it to make it seem like, oh, geez, this guy just resents uh, Denzel Washington uh, so much. Is it gonna, you know? And then, without even saying it, and then as the assistant coach is won over and is and is uh, okay with the situation. Uh, you can see that in his performance, and that way, the the actor is is actually doing something active with the role, as opposed to just saying lines. And you find and you really remember something the character did, as opposed to simply who the character was. Um, so that's that's the problem with with uh, C level acting is that um, it's perfectly fine. You know, nobody will have a problem with it. I remember all my friends. When I when I go into my Will Patton spiel, uh, they'll be like, "Oh, he wasn't bad," and then I would have to say, "Yes, but was he good?" And they're like, "Well, nah, I don't really remember." Well, no, of course you don't. That's the problem. Um, so now we'll get into A and B level acting. Um, and when talking with with some of my friends about this, they made the uh, argument that these types of acting, uh, the, the A and B level, are both really A level. Um, and so I'll, I'll and they have a point. So i'll I'll kind of detail what i consider each to be uh and then you can make your own judgment. I'm not I'm not a stickler when it comes to this kind of thing. Um so what i would say b level acting is um it is when a you know as 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 i've said, you know, uh you kind of build from f to d to c and so what you're doing is the actor is saying the lines really well, uh, which I know sounds like faint praise, but they're delivering the lines in a realistic way. You believe this is a real person. Uh, they are not, they're not assigning false emotion to the part, uh, and so the things the character is feeling uh, is believable, uh, and they're actually putting something on the character. They're bringing something to the role. So that the character is memorable. Now, here's the thing with B-level acting: um, is that, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe. So I'll just use an example. As I mentioned way back in episode one, uh, when I talked about Milk, I mentioned that I'm not a big fan of Sean Penn. Uh Sean Penn is a perfectly fine actor. He's very good. Uh a lot of people would say he's one of the best actors of our generation, and I would say that he's very good. I would not go that far because if you look at Mystic River, for example. Um now granted the character has lost his daughter, his daughter has been killed. So you know, I don't even have a have a child, but to I can imagine losing my wife or something like that and it would be it's it's it would be devastating. So emotionally that character allows the actor to go a lot of different places um to be big or be small and to Sean Penn's credit he does not play everything big he does have a uh, a lot of very small subtle moments but of course when he we've all seen the trailer if not the film itself uh when he finds out about his daughter I mean, he just turns into basically an animal. He's in the midst of all these people, and it doesn't help that director Clint Eastwood like shot him from above, uh, so that it w- you know for for a, you know to really heighten the tragedy. Um, but at that point, Sean Penn just turns, he, he just he yells is that my daughter in there, and that's fine. You know, it's if you look in his eyes, you see the emotion is just is that. ...that horrified realization. Um, but then, after a while, he doesn't even say words anymore. He just starts growling like an animal. Uh, and, and that's... I think that's the problem. Is you are... You watch and you think, wow, that's, that's really good acting. And there's the problem, I think. Is that you are thinking, wow, that's really good acting. And you're thinking it in the moment one could make the argument that a performance should have you w- involved in the in the events of the story and the character uh not sitting back and commenting on it uh it's fine when the movie is over to think back on a performance and be like that was an amazing performance but in the moment uh you know you the the theme that you've probably noticed I keep talking about is is when things take you out of a film. Well, good things can take you out of the film. You know, whether it be a flashy edit or a flashy camera move. Any time that you are aware that you're watching a film uh, and thinking, "Oh wow, that's really great." Well, then all of a sudden you're not in the film anymore. You're you're aware that you're in a movie theater. And that you that the, this isn't real what you're watching, you can walk out at any time um, now there's and so I feel like in films like Mystic River, where it is character driven it takes place in our reality uh, and there's a definite story, and it everything about it is meant to draw you in uh, in a situation like that, a performance needs to needs to lend itself to that. It needs to to just keep pulling you in and never remind you that you're watching a film. Now, here's the here's the thing: is there are some films that everything about them is over the top. Everything they are they're okay with you being aware that you're watching a film. Tw- uh, Quentin Tarantino specializes in this, especially the last few years. If you see Inglorious Bastards or the Kill Bill series. Uh, or death proof uh he wants you to know or keep in mind that you 're watching films he that's that 's the fun of it, and so the performances are going to be bigger than one would expect uh and that's that 's okay I think uh in that situation because chances are everything is is highly stylized uh the editing, the cinematography, the costumes everything is a little bigger, so of course the performances need to be bigger as well. Uh, and so you kind of need to try to interpret the uh, the motives of the director uh, when it comes to certain types of, of film. Uh, and and then also uh, there was a film that came out a few years ago called The Notebook. Uh, I mentioned earlier in, in the in the show uh, I was talking about melodrama. And people have started to you know people have, have said that well melodrama is bad. Well melodrama can be good. You know it doesn't it's bad melodrama is bad, just like bad horror is bad, or bad comedy is bad, as long as you know, no genre is inherently bad and so and melodrama is no different, a movie came out, as I said, a movie came out called The Notebook, I did not expect to like it, you watch it and all the emotions are very heightened, the music is very heightened, the dialogue is kind of, one could make the argument that it's kind of silly because it's so over the top Uh, but it's all very consistent, and, and so the performances are also kind of, kind of bigger, um, but like I said with the other ones, they're big along with everything else, and as long as the actors are, as long as they're not winking at you, and you can always kind of tell when an actor is not fully committed to a role. Uh, you kind of get the feeling that they that they think what they're doing is silly they're not really putting everything into it um, and the notebook is definitely not that uh, all the actors involved uh, they say yes this is this is really uh, this is really maudlin uh, but I will still play the core of the character and i still I will still commit to it Uh, If you look at uh, there's a filmmaker named Douglas Sirk who made melodrama, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago uh, and his stuff, he believed in it. You know, Uh, melodrama can there's a place for it. Uh, There is a film that was a throwback to the work of uh, Douglas Sirk called uh, Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore and Dennis Quaid. And everything about that was made in that old style right down to the music and as such, the performances were very stylized, but emotionally they were completely real. Um, so, so B-level acting—you're aware of the acting, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. All right, I would say I would say that something like Mystic River, like where Sean Penn really just lets out these guttural sounds. Um, that might take me out of the film a little bit but he still is believing he as the actor is still believing that uh he is still playing the note of this guy just lost his daughter and and there are no words to express that grief so i will now just make sounds so he arrived there uh organically and and as such i feel like it it's okay it it takes you out of it a little bit which is why I, I take that to to the B level of acting, um, just like you know stylized performances in like in a Tarantino film or something like that, where you're aware that you're aware of the performances in the moment. Uh, now of course, uh, some people say that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that inherently um, and I disagree, but they have a point. Good acting is good acting now. Here's where we get to a level acting in my opinion. Good acting is something that is it's it's almost like good editing. Um you just you almost don't notice it. Uh and <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and I started to really enjoy film and really want to want to get into film and watch uh, better films than the ones that were marketed towards my age group. Uh, my mom had a uh, a VHS called Oscar's Greatest Moments from 1970 to 1990, and I thought, okay, well, I'll do this, and it, you know, it went through all the best pictures, best actress, best uh, actor, uh, and I thought, okay, well, I enjoy acting; I, I would like to act. Uh, I will watch these performances. And and I was young enough that, you know, there was a movie called uh, Reversal of Fortune with uh, Jeremy Irons. Uh, there was a movie called Save the Tiger with Jack Lemmon. And The French Connection with Gene Hackman. Uh, all of those roles uh, won Oscars and i am focusing primarily on male actors right now because that's that's those are what i watched more because i was you know i'm a guy and i wanted to see oh well what are what are these male actors doing so so i watched those performances and i remember as a kid you know i was probably 13 14 i remember thinking like why did this guy win the oscar he's not doing anything uh you know and then i revisit it and i realize well that's the idea He's not, they're not necessarily doing anything. They just are. They are that role. You know, I never, it's, they understand the core of the character. They play that. They're comfortable within the character. They're literally feeling what the character is feeling, and they don't feel the need to push it. Uh, There's a really, uh, there's a really interesting quote. in. There's a film that came out called The Big Kahuna, with uh, Kevin Spacey and uh, Danny DeVito. And uh, there's a part where Kevin S- Kevin Spacey says, uh, he said, you know what you can tell by somebody who looks like they know what they're doing? Uh, and someone says, what is that? He said, well, you can tell that they don't know what they're doing because when you know it, then you don't have to look like you know it. It just comes naturally. Which is Which sounds like a very strange very strange way of saying well like how do you if it comes naturally won't it look the same and uh but he's kind of right especially when it comes to acting if if you want to look like you're feeling an emotion then it will look like you're trying to feel that emotion but if you just let yourself feel that emotion then it will look different and it will feel different and so if you watch uh I mean, I remember wondering why on earth didn't, did Gene Hackman win Best Actor for The French Connection? I, I love the movie. I didn't at the time. But I, I love the movie. Uh, what is the, you know, there's not much to his character. Well, there's only, a couple thing, there's only a couple motivations to his character, and he simply found those motivations and played them. And played them so believably that I don't, I don't think about Gene Hackman. I think about Popeye Doyle. Um, I don't think about Jeremy Irons in uh, *Reversal of Fortune*. I now think of Klaus von Bülow. He, th- these, you know, great performances. They usually just are. They don't need to try and push th- things. They don't need to convince you how good their their uh, performance is. Um, I'll bring up a couple of other examples. Um, in a, I'll bring up. I brought up Tarantino before. Uh, there's a movie called *Jackie Brown*, which uh, is my favorite of his films, and it's it's. It is the most subtle it takes place in in our reality um and in probably one of the in my view one of the best uh decisions by the academy, Robert Forrester was nominated for supporting actor there's a lot of other there's a lot of kind of showier performances, not over the top certainly, but the academy chose to honor a guy who just he plays kind of a sort of the romantic interest of our of our protagonist um He's a bail bondsman who's just very plain... He's very plain-spoken. He's a, he's a genuinely good man. Uh, and he, Robert Forster doesn't want to push anything. He just is that role. And I'm sorry to keep repeating that. But if you watch... Just watch the film and then pay attention to him. Pay attention to the look on his face, the way he carries himself. He just... It, the character's name is Max Cherry... I'm not watching Robert Forrester. I'm watching Max Cherry. A guy who I absolutely believe existed before the film started, after the film is over, and I believe that if I drove to that, ba- drove to that little mini mall, I could go in and see this guy. That's how much I believe him. Uh, another example, uh, there, were, there were a couple movies uh, that were kind of similar that came out uh, within uh, a year or two of each other one was called the rainmaker and one was called a civil action now both of them involved uh lawsuits against uh, a big uh, a big company a big corporation and uh in both instances uh the the opposing counsel the the lawyer uh responsible with representing the corporation uh, was played by a, a, a seasoned Oscar-winning character actor in *The Rainmaker*. It was John Voight, and in *A Civil Action*, it was Robert Duvall. Now, if you watch John Voight's performance, he—the character—is just a lawyer. Granted, he's very rich, and he does represent a company that is doing bad things, but that doesn't mean he's doing bad things. He's just a lawyer, and everyone needs a defense, and yeah, and he's made a lot of money doing it. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to feel emotionally involved, and so just... so the But but Voight plays him as an... Ex- because he is basically the face of the company, as far as the audience is concerned, because he is the face of the company, Voight plays him as just this evil guy. I mean, he literally... There's a scene where uh, a character who has leukemia... Uh, Walks past him, and this is the character that brought the lawsuit against a, an ins- the insurance company that Voight is representing. As the character walks past him, very weak and very frail, Voight just has this scowl on his face and this and this big frown. This and it's just like, well, the character doesn't stop being human because he happens to be representing this company, and so it's just. It's frustrating. Like, he clearly felt that, oh, well, this is, you know, my character. When people think of the insurance company, they think of my character. So I will, and since my since the company is the villain of the piece, I will play it as a horrible villain. Even though, as I said, he's just a lawyer. Much in the same way, Robert Duvall is the opposing counsel in a civil action. And he chooses not to play it that way. He, his character may be a little cynical, but he doesn't play him as evil. This company is just a client, and he, and he will fight as hard as he can for his client. Uh, and so he just plays him as, as just a regular guy who's a really good lawyer, and knows he's a good lawyer, and, will, and just happens to be representing a company that is in the wrong. And so he just, and I remember that uh, Civil Action came out in '98. By that time, Robert Duvall was one of my favorite actors. He's, he he is now my favorite actor. Uh, and then again, by that time, I was sixteen. So uh, you'd think I would have known a little better. But I remember he was nominated for supporting actor for a Civil Action, and I thought, oh, I'll watch, I'll go see a Civil Action, because oh, the opposing counsel, I've seen the verdict, I've seen the Rainmaker. He'll get a really good ch- opportunity to like really really play this evil character. And then you watch it and I remember thinking like he got nominated for this? He just is pl- you know, he's not playing him as evil, he's just a regular guy. And of course, shortly after that I realized like, oh right, it's because he's choosing not to play him as evil and is just playing him as a regular guy, that's why he was nominated. That's why it's a great performance. Uh so I'll bring up a couple others. Uh I'll bring Hey, watch out. I'll bring up an actress. Very exciting. Uh, so, as I mentioned, Robert Duvall is my favorite actor. Uh, my favorite actress uh, is Kathy Bates. Uh, I think she's fascinating. She makes interesting choices, both in the roles that she chooses to play and how she chooses to play them. Uh, and, you know, and she she's won an Oscar. She won for Misery, in which she plays uh, a crazy character, uh, very eccentric, and she has to be a little over the top at times, but she always, she always seems realistic because her character just is very friendly and very positive. And so, when you see her get angry or go crazy, it's filtered through that, and that may and it makes sense for that character. Everything that she does makes sense for that role, even though the character herself is crazy. So, um. But what I will say is she was nominated again. I'm sorry to make this only about Oscars, but she was nominated for Supporting Actress for About Schmidt in 2002. And the role is... It's not a nothing role, but from a story standpoint, from a plot standpoint, she doesn't really add much. She is basic, her character is basically there for atmosphere or to kind of heighten the, like, raise the stakes a little bit. And uh, she basically plays, uh, she's the the mother of the groom, and she just, and she's very eccentric, she's very free with her own body, as you will come to find out. Uh, And she just, but she's very positive, but she can turn, she can turn angry when things don't go her way. Uh, But she just, everything about her just seems like, just a, a woman living in the midwest uh and Kathy Bates does not try to turn the character into anything more than it is you know the character doesn't doesn't give any hints about some like tortured past or you know or or she doesn't really give Kathy Bates anything to like really play like you know the way John Voight plays oh this evil guy who represents an evil corporation she just is the role you watch her and she just she seems so comfortable and there's no reason she shouldn't be the character is comfortable she wears comfortable clothes she is okay in almost any situation emotionally uh and she's in her own home in her own city there's no reason she shouldn't be completely comfortable and at ease and that's exactly the way Kathy Bates plays her she doesn't she doesn't impose any emotions on the role that uh, that aren't there, and so I, I I love her performance in About Schmidt. It really uh, I, I like the film in general. I think it's very good, and I think Jack Nicholson is very good. But you always kind of know that you're watching Jack Nicholson act, uh, and she really grounds the role, uh, grounds the the film in 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 reality. Uh, and I will bring up another another role that uh, I'll bring up another role that is very is an example of an actor just very comfortable with the part, very comfortable with himself, Uh, and it's a role that I I made uh, reference to uh, earlier uh, in the show, not this show, but uh, in the episode about Superbad, Uh, and that is Jeff Lebowski, known as the Dude, played by uh, Jeff Bridges, and this is a role that it's just, I mean, it is, I think it's probably one of the best best acted roles of the last 15-20 years. And it's because, as I've been saying, I'm sorry to keep keep pushing this. He's just Jeff Lebowski is a character who does not look inward. Uh, he just kind of goes with the flow, smokes a lot of pot, goes bowling, and that's all. H- his whole his whole existence seems uh, predicated on just just kind of hanging out, and so and he's the lead that's the thing is it's a character kind of role but he happens to be the lead and so and with an actor like uh Jeff Bridges who I think is a wonderful actor I, I liked him in The Door and the Floor uh I liked him in uh I liked him in The Last Picture Show Starman The Fisher King I he's just he's good in 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 everything uh and so he The Temptation there might have been temptation there to really like put more into the character emotionally but he's not a character of like really strong emotional depths you know he gets frustrated a lot and he yells a lot but he also like you know is really mellow and calm a lot of the time and he just plays that the character is very present it's all about today it's not about yesterday and it certainly doesn't seem to be about tomorrow it's it's only about today as such bridges is just always present he doesn't try to play the past uh, he only plays what is happening right now because that's all that really seems to matter to the dude and man if you just want an example of of an actor just so comfortable in a character every time the dude sits down it, really anywhere just this is a this is a character who is kind of hedonistic in the sense that he just doesn't really deny himself anything, and so it's all about comfort for him. And so when he sits down, he will instantly, without thinking about it, uh, get into the most comfortable position he can. And it's and that's the thing is 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 Jeff Bridges realizes that at this point it is instinct for uh, the dude. To go into the most comfortable position, and so he just makes it his his instinct. Um. So I'll bring up. Uh, okay, so I'll bring up another another role that you know when you're. I've been talking about a lot of a lot of characters that don't really have a lot of uh, over the top emotions. They're not required to yell very often or do big things. You know, and it's easy to play a very subtle role when the character itself is very subtle. Uh, so, how is it? So, when you get a kind of a kind of a crazy role or or an extreme role, uh, but it does take place in our reality, how do you play that? What does that look like without calling attention to the fact that you're acting? How do you do it? Uh, and so, I'll bring up uh, Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. Uh, in sexy beast he plays a british gangster who is just so he's just he's a bully basically i mean he just he yells and he will you know physically attack you if you're not doing what he wants you to do uh just every he's just an absolute just a bulldog i mentioned that specifically because uh ben kingsley is a small guy he's he's shorter than like all the other uh members of the cast and yet they're all afraid of him and so when you have a character and also it should be noted he is saying all kinds of horrible profanity and he's and he's often screaming it well how does that work how are you going to take that character which is almost just a caricature of the british gangster how do you take that and ground it in reality to the point that we forget that we're watching ben kingsley play a role and we're just watching this guy don logan how do you do it and again it's it's going it's going underneath the character and seeing kind of what makes him tick and then understanding it and as i said he's a bully in the in the strictest sense of the word he does he he seems to have the emotional maturity of like a 6th grade bully well and what makes a 6th grade bully tick well probably a certain degree of inferiority uh jealousy Uh, a lack of being uh, accepted, which is something that everybody, of course, wants. And so once Ben Kingsley understood that and understood that this character never matured beyond that, nor was really required to, um, then he realized how far he needed to go in each scene. Sometimes the character does not need to yell to be heard because he understands that he is feared. He's he doesn't have to always prove himself. And so if he's not trying to prove himself, then that means uh when he yells, it is because he's legitimately angry because again as a as an overgrown child, uh he has no control over his emotions. And so you get a a, a character that is very extreme in a lot of ways but is totally believable, and you never... Uh, a- certainly after the film is over, you think, like, wow, Ben Kingsley did a great job. Uh, but in the in the moment, you're not watching Ben Kingsley. You are watching Don Logan, this guy who just, based on the way other characters respond to him, but also based on how he responds to their response, uh, he just... He belongs in this world, and... And Ben Kingsley just is that role. And, uh, and Ben Kingsley is, a cari- is an actor who uh, is not opposed uh, to melodramatic uh, performances. Um, if you look at uh, in 2003, uh, the same year that Sean Penn won for Mystic River, um, Ben Kingsley was nominated for a film called House of Sand and Fog where he does a really great job. Uh, but there are a lot of very showy scenes. And he certainly plays into those. And it's kind of a slightly more melodramatic movie, and so you're kind of all right with it. Um, And so, as an actor, one of the most important things you can do is watch other actors. Not to emulate them, but to figure out how they arrived at the performance that you're seeing. And so, and that way you can... And also, by all means, read about acting. Uh, I read Let's see, who did I... Who have I read the most of? Uh Uda Hagen. That's U T A H A G E N. Uh, she has some interesting thoughts about uh, about acting. And then of course, look into the you know, Sanford Meisner, look into Stanislavski, um and and really and you know, take classes, really uh really understand your craft. Uh and and just watch and just watch movies, watch Watch performances that people consider to be great, and then figure out why they're great. If you don't think it's great right away, why do you not think it's? Why why do you uh, not think so? Why do you disagree? Um, Just really, you know, it's analysis. An actor really needs good instincts, but there's a way to develop your instincts. You can't just, you know, you don't have to just be like, well, all right, I'm not going to study. I'm not going to do anything. I'm I'm all instinct. so just, again, if you're an actor and you're a Christian and you feel like God is calling you to be an actor, whether it be on stage or in film, whether it be in Christian films or otherwise, uh, we have a responsibility, to, to go back to uh, the verse, to play skillfully, not just play. He wants, God wants us to do the best we can so that other people are positively affected by it and aren't just being like oh oh he was called to be an actor that's great he's terrible at it i don't know why i don't know why god would call him to do that god must not know what he's talking about so anyway uh so that's you know and again i've been this is one of our one of the longer episodes of just me talking uh but i feel like i've only scratched the surface of what acting is what good acting is uh but one thing that I will say is just do a lot of research into what a good role is, what a good performance is. You know, if an actor has given interviews about their method, I believe Michael Caine. I think he even wrote a book about it. And just you know, find and talk to other actors, find out how they go about tackling a role, and and it will just just immerse yourself in your craft. That's the that's the most important thing. Um, and then you will develop your skills. So uh anyway, so that's that's this episode, episode 10. Uh head on over to the website morethanonelesson.com and uh you know, we've got new blogs pretty much every week. Uh there's a recent entry about the new show Glee and uh Usually the, usually the newest films uh, there's reviews of. Uh, so just head on over there, go to the forum, and talk with uh, other listeners. Uh, there, again, there are always links to um, other Christian websites, other film criticism websites. Uh, there are links to various churches that you can go to. Uh, so yeah, just head on over there. And if you want to email me, uh, tyler at morethanonelesson.com. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Bye.